Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 8, titled Second Sons. Uh, Aaron, what do you think of this episode? Uh, pretty pretty good episode. Pre- uh-huh. Pretty good episode. There was uh, perhaps the happiest wedding in Game of Thrones history. Well, I mean, Robin Talisa, that was a pretty that was a pretty joyous occasion, I suppose. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm damning... <laughs> I'm damning the other the the other weddings more than I'm praising this one, but you know, uh, no one died. No one died. That's a plus. Yeah, like you know, Dothraki affairs are considered dull and only unless you mm-hmm. know three million people die. I think is the the thing. Uh, you know, not 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 a good, not not we have check checkered checkered history with weddings and Game of Thrones. Uh, it's not very celebra- celebratory. It's not. I have to say, like but nobody's happy to be there. But it's interesting. There's it like mm-hmm. 15 different personalities and some sort of bouncing around on a predicament, and it's interesting to watch that stuff together. I thought, um, you know, the introduction to Dario Naharis was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leader of the Second Sons. Yeah. Yep. Yep, I thought de the facto leader at this point. <laughs> yeah, the 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 blood magic scenes with Gendry and Melisandre were uh interesting and sexy and uh and and also interesting for like the character development of Davos cuz you know, he's he's essentially conducting a test here to see how it, the the results and uh you know, then the the finally the end of uh Sam slaying the White Walker. Mhm. Uh, and just how that was staged and the crows and like how uh, all the elements kind of came together. Uh, really good. This is a, this is a, not a tent pole or like jaw dropping episode. This is just a solid thoroughgoing game of Thrones episode. Yeah. It actually doesn't have, you know, the thing that I come to game of Thrones for, uh, mm-hmm. which is the political intrigue and the, you know, the chess pieces moving around it has basically none of that. But it was still a really entertaining episode. Uh, like you, I thought this wedding was... I think it was probably the strongest part of the episode, yeah. in my opinion. Like, it has some just amazing dialogue mm-hmm. from the god of tits and wine yep. to just... It, I mean, all the stuff that happens with Tyrion and Joffrey and Tywin, it's all great. And Elena gets a lot of, like, family tree yeah. stuff in there. That It's just so good. Uh-huh. Uh, so well written. And it kind of... I guess distracted me from the fact that it doesn't have what I come to Game of Thrones for mm. uh, and made this, you know, yet another really good episode. I mean, this is like the the end result of the political machinations. Yes. You are watching the sausage being ground. This is the mm-hmm. this is the, the end result um, of all of Tywin scheming and maneuvering. Well, not all of it, but a, a good portion of late of, of later uh, of the last few episodes. This is the kind of culmination. And what's striking is no one's happy about it. No. Not even Taiwan. No. Uh, like, like the Lannisters, this is the Lannisters at their most victorious, where they have successfully uh, fended off a powerful rival, and no one is happy about it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Uh, should we get into the recap? Yeah, probably. Hey, everybody. Want to do some housekeeping before we get into the main part of the the meat, the meat of the episode. Uh, Of course, we're doing Better Call Saul season four right now. And club members are welcome to participate to our instant talk podcast live after each uh, Monday night's performance. Uh, We're also doing Game of Thrones going along really at a good clip there. Uh, We just finished uh, HBO's Sharp Objects, a really great miniseries. uh, And we're going to be talking about that, the wrap up of that and our thoughts on Castle Rock so far on Bald Move TV this week. 
We talked about sharp objects uh, wrapping up. What's going to replace it? Well, I got a show called The Deuce. It's made by David Simon of The Wire uh, fame. It's going into its second season. Its first season was excellent. It's a deep dive into seedy 70s corruption around the sex trade in New York City. Uh, And it's got a lot of interesting things we can learn about our times that we're living in right now. And it's fantastically casted and acted. And it just really feels like you're there in the 70s New York. Going to start talking about it. Comes out September 11th. Or September 9th, rather, and our podcast will be uh, up on September September 11th. So check that out. That'll be also on the Bald Move TV feed. Uh, tonight on the Bald Move Movies feed, we're going to be seeing The Little Stranger, which is a gothic horror film that's just opening today and limited release. I think it's getting a wider release later. Uh, and then don't forget, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Jim and I take to twitch.tv slash baldmove. Sometimes we play video games. Sometimes we watch a movie. Uh, this Tuesday, we watched The Last Starfighter. If you didn't miss it live, or if you missed it live, you can go to twitch.tv slash baldmove. And in our video archives, you can watch any of our shows from the last 14 days. And if you're a club member, they get archived permanently. Uh, that's what's going on here at baldmove.com. So Arya wakes up and attempts to smash the not-quite-sleeping-hound with a rock. He says she can have one chance to kill him, but she doesn't take it. Uh, afterward, they ride on a horse while the hound tells Arya things designed to convince her that he's not as bad as the others. And then he tells her he's taking her to the twins to sell her to Rob and her mother, who are there for Edmure's wedding. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I don't know, good stuff here with the hound. The hound is always fun to watch. Yeah. The whole, I'll give you one chance to kill me, and then I'm going to break yeah. both your hands. And Arya just hit, putting down the rock. Hit me hard, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot. I mean... What I thought was astounding is how how really badly I think the Hound wants to be a hero, hmm. you know, because yeah. he's like as he's 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 going through, you know, he's ticking off like, you know, well, if you were with my brother, if you were with these guys or if you were with the people that were tearing your sister apart. I mean, he does have an exceedingly dim view of humanity because I feel like he makes a classic sin of thinking that he is an exceptional person and that, you know, most people would just stand by and allow the evil. If, if crucially they actually had something that they could contribute to the fight, that most people just stand by and let evil happen. Um, you know, it's hard to argue with the guy with the burnt face that was the, the younger brother of the monster, Gregor Clegane. Hmm. But I, I thought that was, you know, how much he enjoys and takes pride in, you know, help like, like doing something he doesn't normally get to do, which is help the, the weak and unfortunate people. Uh, yeah, and maybe he's wrong about you know the nature of most people, but given the people he's been around, you can right. kind of understand why. Totally, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I love some of the details, like in inserts, like just how filthy Arya's nails are, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting, you know, because she's such a tomboy, but also it just really sells the fact that she's been living this you know hard scrabble life uh, ever since you know that she escaped from King's Landing, mm-hmm. uh, and I like that, and I also like. The 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 emotional arc that Arya has in these scenes where she starts off like laying on the bare ground, essentially wanting to die, willing to bash this man's brains out. And then in the end, when she realizes where he's, she's being taken to, she's she smiles like, mm-hmm. man, how fucking wa- weird is it to think you're going to you know go from wanting to die to think you're going to see your family in far sooner and better circumstances than you ever thought you would. Yeah. Um, you know. We, we we will see. We will see that we we will await the joyful reunion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh okay, we go over to, to uh Jorah and Barristan kind of 
looking over the the second sons here, introducing Danny to them, who uh, they're stationed outside Yunkai as they talk uh, sort of about how dangerous and untrustworthy cell swords are in general. And then she meets with the leader of the second sons, or leaders, one of which is a real just piece of work. Uh, he makes really lewd remarks about Danny, and yet she offers him a barrel of wine and the opportunity for the second sons to fight alongside her and reap the rewards when she takes Westeros. And she gives them two days to think about it. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, Sir Barristan and Jorah and Danny in their spy clothes. Uh, you know, they're just essentially wearing ta- they're essentially wearing silk towels over their heads and right. You know, it's slipping and undetected amongst enemy entourage. Like, entourage. Like, exactly. I'm like, how did the Unsullied get this close? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, whatever. Maybe they hid below a ridge. I don't know. It's pretty funny. It's yeah. pretty funny. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I think this was interesting. Like, the, you can see the, her advisor still sparring about, you know, who's got the best advice. And I actually liked... Well, I enjoy. Um, I thought this, you know, Marrow guy was a giant fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great piece of acting. Yeah. He's, he's absolutely deplorable. I hate every second that he's right. on screen, but you're supposed to. And Danny is not, like, what helps is, like, Danny's not threatened. She yeah. feigns amusement to show that, like, you know, she's utterly unconcerned with this guy's threats. And, you know, I think for good reason. Like, it's 2,000 versus 8,000. Yeah. You're probably going to like maybe, you know, maybe they give as good as they get and you don't want to lose 2000. You're unsullied. But like these guys are making very, very empty threats. And mm-hmm. I love um, I love to like, you know, that like Danny gives as good as she gets, like saying, you know, uh, well, I'm not going to he wants her to sit on his get naked, sit on his lap. And it's like, oh, you know, I'll may- maybe you'll come sit on my lap and I'll guild you. And uh, and, you know, they're saying the, the the marrow guy saying that the second sons have faced words worse odds than one and barrison come or no was it barrison or jorah comes back with yeah and you faced worse odds and run yeah i think it's jorah pretty 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 clever pretty uh-huh. clever uh which i guess is true i don't know is is that a thing well i mean yeah, so I that, the history in, of these second sons the second sons are so the the, the title is kind of clever i believe the guy i found was probably a second son but that's the classic you're the second son the firstborn gets to inherit everything. Yeah. Like, by default, they're going to get glory and riches and fame and land. And the second sons don't get shit. Second sons got to go out, lace up their shoes, and go get theirs. You know, they got to rise and grind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the second sons is essentially these collection of, you know, outcasts and also rands and and, and whatnot. Uh, but the problem with sell swords is just like that both Jorah and Selmy agree uh, they fight for the highest bidder. Yeah. And, you know, there's very little incentive uh, to fight for losing causes or to stay till the bitter end or all that. Because as bad as you might take a hit for nulling a contract, it's still not as bad as dying. So. Sure. Yeah. But uh, none of the none of the there's a few companies like the Golden Company has a slightly better reputation than most. But most sellsword companies are, you know, there's mercenaries like mm-hmm. mercenaries for from from the beginning of time have always been. You're not fighting for loyalty. You're not fighting for country. You're not fighting for honor. You're fighting for money. Yeah. And that's 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 a problem. <laughs> All right. We go to Melisandre and Gendry who are arriving at Dragonstone. Stannis inspects Gendry's bastard face and then asks Melisandre why. Pronounces him half Bobby. Uh-huh. Uh, asks, and then asks Melisandre why she's pampering him. And she says, 
She's preparing him for the slaughter the way you would a lamb. Uh, doesn't bode well for Gendry. She slaughtered many a lamb and none have seen the blade. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know, Melisandre, whenever she opens her mouth, she becomes a little more scary. Yeah, no, she's, she is so frightening because she's so warm and charming and sexy, but she's Mm -hmm. also just incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and she is following the whims of a god that I don't know that she even quite understands. Like, Stannis later in this episode talks about visions that he's seen, you know, but... What do those visions mean? Right. I mean, that's the that's the big question. Like, okay, he sees a battle in the snow. Mm-hmm. So what? Right. Like, how, how do you get from here to there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess one way is leeches. <laughs> but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Davos is attempting to read, and he's having some luck with a simple book when Stannis visits its cell to both uh, deliver condolences over his son's death and free him as long as he swears never to raise a hand to Melisandre again, which he does. Uh, when Davos tries to tell Stannis that he's really there to be talked out of letting Melisandre sacrifice Gendry, Stannis says, I've I seen a vision of a great battle in the snow, uh, and he can't deny the work of her god at play. Uh, well, I think I think Davos is an atheist. Uh, it says something about, I think mothers and fathers made up the gods because they wanted their children to sleep through the night. Yeah. Um, I, I think that well, this is one of the scenes where I think Stannis is one of the better leaders and commanders because he's specifically seeking Davos. I think Davos is right. He's specifically seeking seeking Davos out because he's scared. Mm. Like how, you know, how can you deny her God is real? I think that's a, that's not a challenge. That's an open question. Like Stannis is like, I'm all for not believing in this crazy God, but she showed me things in a fire. You've seen things in the vagina. How can you, how can you deny that, 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 you know, compared to the faith of the seven, which is what most of the Southern uh, members of Westeros are from, like, it's very inert. You know, you say prayers are answered. You perform rituals that don't do anything. Um, Maybe the maester heals you, but it's through some kind of art, not, magic or 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 religion uh you know it's it's compelling it's 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 very compelling like i mean i'm an eight i i don't know that i know i know i wouldn't be an atheist if there was an evidence of an act of god that could actually right. influence things yeah. only a fool would be sure so i think i think that the like there's a touch of almost like pleading with with davos like davos here is like i don't want to be a religious fanatic please give me reasons why why <laughs> why should i be moderate why should i hesitate why why shouldn't i just go whole hog and be be a be a convert yeah and none of those reasons are quite as powerful as what melisandre is showing him and that's the thing like you can like in an existential fight where you have millions and millions and millions of people depending on you, you can justify any singular expenditure of life mm-hmm. uh, without even much, much, much trouble. If you can sow seeds in a doubt about like, well, how are you know are those millions really at stake? Is this war actually going to happen? Are you actually the chosen one? And I think that's what Stannis is wanting. Stannis is wa- wanting a check on what he thinks is maybe religious madness. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we go on to the Second Son's leaders discussing what to do about Danny. They agree to send an assassin in during the night to kill her, and they decide it by drawing coins, and Dario gets the job. Uh, yep. Of course, any scene with the Second Son's wouldn't be complete without a half-naked woman in it, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so that's kind of how they decide. Yeah, it's interesting, because Dario... Um, Dario's all about consent, you know? He is. Uh, he only yeah. wants to fuck a woman if she wants to be fucked. He wants to kill a man if the man 
wants, wants to, to kill him. Yeah. So like there's consent. Like, and then I think that's an Implied. interesting, that's a pretty good medieval moral code, you know, All like right, only yeah. kill some, like if, if someone's not trying to kill you, don't kill him. Mm-hmm. Someone's not trying wanting to fuck you. Don't fuck him. Like that would keep a lot of people out of trouble. In, in them days. Sure. That might even qualify uh, Dario Naharis as like a proto-feminist uh, <laughs> compared to the average fucking man in uh, that we've seen in this world. So yeah. uh, I think that's like you're supposed to see that, you know, Dario is kind of a, a, a cut above or a, di- a cut from a different cloth. He says he fights mm-hmm. for beauty, which I think is another interesting thing. Like, what does that mean? Does he consider war beautiful? Does he only fight for things he considers beautiful? If so, how the hell did he become a, a sellsword? But I think this guy's got a lot of natural charisma and swagger. And yeah. his, like, he's also very weird, but magnetic. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that you get sort see, of a Matthew McConaughey vibe. Yeah, maybe. there he goes. Yeah. yeah, Matthew McConaughey. If he didn't didn't have access to like modern dentistry and and <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, and, and 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 things like that, but but yeah, no, they're like it's it's essential for this guy to be this magnetic because you you have to believe that it's somebody that Danny would get out of her bath naked for. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and it. It plays to the only woman in this scene, right? Right. Like, when he's talking about he fights for beauty and only fuck a woman who wants to be fucked, that kind of thing, You they show the reaction shots right. of the woman sitting on this other disgusting man's lap. Right. Uh, and she seems to be... Thrilled is not the right word. <laughs> right. At least uh, a little bit excited by those words. Right, right. And his general swagger and attitude as well. Yeah, no, I mean, especially when you think of Danny's the widow of Cal Drogo, who, say what you will about Cal Drogo, you you have to always say that he is as hot as the surface of the sun. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to uh-huh. have to be a, a particularly notable man who's going to make Daenerys sit up and take notice. Sure. All right, we move to Tyrion uh, going to Sansa to say that he knows how she feels about this arranged marriage, which... He kind of does, kind of doesn't, uh, but he does at the end of the scene promise never to hurt her, which I think plays out this episode. Yeah, and there's like an, a nice moment here where he's he kind of like trying to use humor to defuse the situation, and mm-hmm. he like self deprecates himself, uh, self deprecates himself. Uh, <laughs> I just Austin powered him, and you know also says that you know, acknowledges like her point of view. Like I get it, you're in a different point of view, view and. Or you're you're in a prison, and also yeah, you're right. I don't know how you feel, and you can't how know I feel. Um, and you know, saying that like today's a day you'd get drunk because who the hell wants to remember it? And she kind of smiles at that, and that's all he's really wanting is to try to get her to be some kind of level of comfort uh, because it's mm-hmm. a shit sandwich that she's being asked to eat. Yeah, being commanded to, uh, just like he is. Right. Right. So then Marjorie tries to get close to Cersei, but Cersei tells the tale of the reigns of Castamere, which includes the second most powerful house in the kingdom, the reigns, and by extension of analogy, uh, the Tyrells, rebelling against Tywin and how he slaughtered them all. And then she tells Marjorie that she'll have her strangled in her sleep if she ever calls her sister again. Weak. Weak. Because I, I, I don't think Cersei can back that, that talk up. No? I, hmm. 
She kills Joffrey's betrothed unilaterally, and she doesn't have both Joff and Tywin climb up her ass. Sure. No way. No, I, no way. But maybe consequences be damned. Uh, maybe. Like, I, I don't know how far Cersei is willing to go. I don't buy that Cersei's willing to take that kind of heat. I don't think Marjorie buys, and that's hmm. why I think it's weak. You should never, okay. ever make a threat that you're not immediate. Like, like... Like, if Marjorie rolled her eyes and said, okay, sister, and strolled off, like, you should be prepared to just come at her and strangle her right there in front of everybody. The key point being Marjorie doesn't know that. Marjorie, I I don't think, understands the dynamic in that family yet. But you don't think that Marjorie is kind of sussed out an essential brittleness to Cersei? No, I think she's... She's at the end of the scene very frightened. She, She takes this threat very seriously. Man, I did not... I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong because I it's just a subjective. I, I thought that she was like kind of, you know, smirking to herself like, oh, my God, this is super mm-hmm. weak. Because, you no, know, her example of a strong female is her grandmother, mm-hmm. who if her grandma was in Cersei's shoes, would have loved to turn on the charm and return flattery and compliments and just let let put, you know, put everybody at ease. Because, so because that, you know, it's like you, you can't let the lamb see the blade. Mm-hmm. Cersei's all about letting the lamb see the blade all the fucking time, and sure. So it's interesting that you we. Uh, I wish I could wish we could just roll the tape right now, <laughs> right? Because like, uh, yeah, I, I I got a completely different interpretation from the end of that scene. Okay. Uh, the wedding commences. Joffrey revels in escorting Sansa up the aisle to her fate with Tyrion. And he takes the stool that Tyrion had planned on using, which makes it awkward for Tyrion to perform the ceremonial duties of uh, putting the cloak on Sansa. Mm. I, That's I noticed, so cruel. It, well, yeah. I mean, do, it's do you fucking expect Joffrey. Any less from Joffrey. Yeah, as I say, he just murdered Ross with a crossbow two episodes ago. So yeah, I, I did notice that he's in remarkably similar fabric to Sansa. Like his dress, his mm. his wardrobe here is very very similar, almost flowery. And I yeah. thought he like would probably uh-huh. kill his tailor if he tried to put flowers on him well, again. Well, I wonder... I mean, this is all just speculation, but, like, with Joff's kind of meticulous planning of this, I wonder, you know, knowing that he was going to give her away as a father of the realm, if uh-huh. he didn't... Because um, I don't think he was able to dictate... I don't I don't think he'd be able to dictate Sansa's wardrobe, but he could definitely yeah. find out what she's wearing and kind of match that Yeah. Uh, to add to the kind of cruel comedic effect he's going for here. I did wonder if it was part of the ceremony that they would wear... Very similar colors. Mm, I mean, that's true too. I honestly, I, I, I don't know. I haven't read my, uh, my deep wedding lore. Uh, <laughs> Does that exist? I'm sure Martin has read yeah. it. Oh, there's like a, yeah. f- there's 57 pages in the World of Ice and Fire alone <laughs> on on wedding rituals. Yeah. Um, I also like how the la- like people started smirking at the you know Tyrion's inability of cloaking the bride, mm-hmm. and Tywin silences it all with a glare. But then Joffrey gets one last titter off. Yeah. This. I mean, I continue to think this is a just a suicidally crazy thing for this punk to fuck with Tywin, but maybe Joff doesn't know that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's this balance of power where like Tywin has kind of behind the scenes power, but Joffrey mm. has the in your face power. Right. You know, he could turn around in this scene and he could say, "Sir Marin Trant, kill my father." Right. He could do that. Do you think Marin Trant does, though? I think Marin Trant does. I think Trant <sighs> is the kind of guy who would go along with that, yeah. Wow. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, in that scene later on where, you know, Tyrion tells him, I'm going to cut off your cock and, and you're going to need a wooden one, uh, Tyrion is in mortal danger there. 
Yeah. And yes, he is. Tywin diffuses the situation, but I don't right. know that he could have controlled the situation had Joffrey decided, I'm just going to kill Tyrion here. It is interesting. Like, what would Tywin have done had he been in the the Sept of Baylor Plaza when jo- when uh, Joff caught an audible and had Ned's head cut off? Right. Like, could he have been there? Because, like, the thing that made that difficult is doing it in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to, with everyone in the city turned out for the execution, how are you going to publicly check the king? Whereas here, Tywin is able to, with both his son and his grandson, mm-hmm. just with the tone in his voice, the look on his face, like, stop fucking around. And yeah. let's all just agree that this was a joke, you know. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It, it's an interesting question. Like, if Joff had been like, I don't think he is joking, grandfather. I think he needs to be punished. Like... Yeah, the evening could have taken a very dark, very dark turn. <laughs> it could have. Uh, all right. Also, the other thing before we move on is yeah. like there is a really thi- that I love how they fixate on Sansa and uh, on Tyrion's face when the priest is saying the one flesh, one heart, one soul. Mm-hmm. Just like bullshit. Yeah. Um, but like they're going, it's, it's like very Princess Bride. This is like a sham wedding, but you know the High Septon's going to just say the words. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I'm surprised it didn't cut to like an insert shot of Shay when they were saying that. Right. She <laughs> probably wasn't invited. Yeah. Chamber girls are not invited. I'm sure she wasn't. Uh, all right. We go to Melisandre preparing Gendry for the slaughter by giving him wine, removing both of their clothes and telling him that everything happening to them is part of God's plan. Then she ties him to the bed. She bangs him and she puts leeches all over his body. <laughs> That's Friday That's night normal. as far as I'm concerned, man. I don't see anything, anything wrong. I don't think anything, Fr- yeah. Friday How many night kings with, need to kill, huh? Friday night with Carice Van Hooten, sure. Uh, Stannis shows up with Davos and Melisandre lets him throw the leeches into the fire and he says the names of, as he says the names of the usur- usurpers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says the name of Balon Greyjoy, uh, Joffrey Baratheon, and... The last one? Rob Stark. Rob Stark, thank you. I'm surprised. <laughs> I actually, it, it, I kind of flinched when he said Joffrey Baratheon because I thought he would say Joffrey Lannister just to twist the knife. Oh, you yeah. Know? Uh, how the God's going to know hit the, hit the accurate target if you're, you're using the wrong, wrong last names. Or I guess he would be he, he, Joffrey Crown? Is, isn't that what the, I forget what the, the, crown, the, uh, the bastard name for the Crownlands. Maybe it's Hill or Stone. Yeah, uh, I guess he's one of the few people who who really knows the truth here, right? Yeah. Who has some reason to actually believe the rumors. I mean, he's the one that started them. He's the right. one that sent out all the crows that said, yo, King is a bastard. Right. Uh, and not just in the way you know, you think and, and, and know it. He's, he's also just a, a product of incest. So, yeah. So for him to say Baratheon, I think, I think it would be weird for him to say anything else. Right. Honestly. Yeah. And there's a lot of really cool verbal wordplay here about, you know, uh, Melisandre talking about, you know, if it's real or not. Like when you mm-hmm. first encounter real wealth, like people can fake it. But when you see it for real, it's like, oh, yeah, this is this this is good shit. When you taste something that's a genuine superior thing, when, you know. You, you, you see a naked body when you see a person, you know, killing kings like that. Like a superior thing. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the <laughs> that's the God's thing, though. Right. Like she's trying to say, like, my God is the real McCoy because look what I've done. Look what I'm about to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. I wonder, had da- Davos not stepped in, was she going to just kill him? Because like, I, I if the if the leeches are as powerful as she says, and let's just for the sake of argument, say that one or more of these kings dies or directors all of these leeches. Okay. Why don't you just keep Gendry around and just leech him? 
Yeah, he's like got if you a can remote assassinate rival kings with leech blood, why would you ever want to just kill him? It gets boring after a while, you know? You, you do one king, you do shadow babies. The next king, you do leeches. Right. Next king, who knows? Yeah. To- toenails? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just hair. I mean, it's just, it seems like, you know, she's treating him like a lamb to the slaughter, but maybe he's a sheep. He can be fleeced indefinitely if you keep him alive. Yeah. So I, I never quite figured out. Um, now, if, if the spell's not strong enough, then maybe. But, like, I, I'm, I'm, I've always thought that, like, Melisandre is essentially uh, Roland Cole on the royal line here. Like, she's just <laughs> wasting resources. <laughs> okay. You know, yeah. you could she could do the Prius leeches, but nah, she's she, she's just going to roll coal on the, the Baratheon bastards. Just yeah, burn it I, up. Burn I don't know. I, I don't know. Because, I mean, at the end of the scene, you're right. She doesn't kill him here. Uh is that because Davos has convinced Stannis that she shouldn't? I think so. I mean, that's that's pretty much what they. Now, what's interesting is like with the if the it. So that's the other thing I don't understand. If the demonstration's successful, then Davos is like, well, then we don't need to kill the, right. the boy. If the if the demonstration's not successful, then is it just because your magic is bullshit, or do we need to step up to killing? Like this is yeah, a probably need to go a, kill him. A weird test. A weird test to conduct. It is. It I don't is. think it has any kind of uh, scientific rigor. Where's the double blind? I mean, that's the problem the with the gods. The gods aren't easily tested. Yeah, what you need to do is you need to get like a non-royal blood person. You need to have some third party there that doesn't go. know which is which. Bleed the leeches. You give mm-hmm. all the leeches to Melisandre. She throws them all in the brazier with the spell. And then you see which one, which kings die. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> and give, it a, give it a few hundred years. They'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we go to the wedding reception where Elena discusses the new possibilities of this fucked up family tree. Uh, Tyrion gets incredibly drunk, which upsets Tywin because he wants Tyrion to get it up and put a child in Sansa. Loras tries to talk with his bride-to-be Cersei, but she blows him off. Uh, Joffrey translates, or sorry, congratulates Sansa in the most Joffrey way possible by threatening to rape her later that night. Uh, then he commences the betting ceremony, which causes Tyrion to threaten to cut his cock off. Tywin has to step in to keep Joffrey from having Tyrion killed, or worse. Uh, Tyrion and Sansa retreat to their chambers where Tyrion continues drinking. Sansa partakes a bit and then begins undressing until Tyrion says stop, promising that he will not share her bed until she wants him to, and then he passes out on a chair. Yeah, the his his epic pass out. I mean, there's a whole scene. I, I love this whole scene. Uh-huh. It's easily the best scene in the episode, in my opinion. Right. Uh the just the from the ground up like the dialogue alone gets me every time this god of tits and wine is mm-hmm. just a classic mm-hmm. uh when he walks out he's taking he's leading sansa out of the room and he says i vomited on a girl once in the right. middle of the act i'll tell you all about it to get you <laughs> right. in the mood i'm not proud of it but right. honesty is important right right uh no it's so it's so good and then at the end of it and so my watch begins when you know she says what if i never want you uh, it's it's a good line. It's a good in-world kind of analogy to make. I wish they'd cut to Sansa a few times when, you know, Tyrion has threatened Joffrey. Because I, 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 I couldn't help but wonder what she was thinking. Like, if yeah. she's like, 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 Godzilla, let them fight. This you might know? be my ticket out of this. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, they kill and then I become the... the <laughs> Her elbowing Loris. Uh? Right, right. Uh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to get in on, on this, too. Like, is there any way for everyone to die? Um, right. I thought I, I could have used a little bit of reaction from her. Is she concerned that 
Tyrion dies, she might meet a worse fate? Is she just in the moment and just like, hey, if Tyrion gets off, that's cool? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously the things that Joffrey is saying is shaking her because she has no, I would imagine she takes him at his word. That he has the means, motive, and and uh, the the things at his disposal to carry out his threat. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think that certainly would have added something to the scene. But their their choice here, I guess, was to focus on these these three. <laughs> I use the right. word men. Joffrey is right. not a man, uh, but these three people in this confrontation. Yeah, and I think this is the core. Uh, I guess tension in the Lannister family is. The father's contempt for kind of both of his sons in a weird way, you know, mm-hmm. or not his son, his grandson. Right. His whole family uh, is a disappointment Yeah, his whole family. A- absolutely. Like, but, why can't you all be me? But right there, there is, there's so much, I guess, animosity going, going around in this triangle here uh, that kind of focusing up on it and saying, who has the power in this situation? Mm-hmm. What, how is this ever going to get better or play out? Uh, I think it's a, a pretty strong choice, but also, yeah, I, I think like knowing what's going through Sansa's head in that moment would have also been nice. Yeah, it is almost like, uh, except for the sellsword part, it's almost like you know Tyrion's riddle about if you know the noble, the the priest, and the sellsword. Right. right. Uh, someone says to to kill kill a person, like who who has the power in the room? Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like the detail of like Tyrion saluting his soon to be brother in law. Like, you know, they're brothers in misery. Yeah. Um, it was it. Yeah, it's 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 a great it's a great scene. I like his. And now my watch begins before he passes out. That's a pretty, pretty good line. Mm-hmm. His you have an astoundingly long neck <laughs> and yeah. you're only 14. Like you're halfway to a creepy 50s rock and roll love song, I think. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably. He'd, be, he'd all be all about the Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Yeah, somebody. Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. The yeah. great balls of fire guy. Yeah. Who he didn't definitely... fuck a 13 year old cousin back then? <laughs> Not Jerry Lee Lewis. It's what made this country great, apparently. Uh, so yeah. I yeah, I, I, uh, I also like the line. If my father wants someone fucked, I know where he can start. Yeah. <laughs> It's no, the dialogue is perfect. In it's this really, episode. yeah, really clever. And I honestly, I, I, I don't know how much of it was actually that way in the books. I mean, obviously, a lot of this, like uh, the whole thing with the stool and the mockery and how cruel it was, is all, is all from the books. But some of the exact wordplay, I'm not sure. Uh, good stuff, though. Good stuff. I, it does leave me wondering what the consequences of Tyrion defying his father will be. You know, he it, clearly he did this intentionally. Right, yeah. like Tywin's not going to come away from this going, ah, oh, well, he couldn't get it up, whatever. Yeah, because so I, was, I was almost say, well, I guess Tyrion could always say, like, well, I, 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 you know, I've been doing it, Dad, but, like, one of us is, is busted. And I think that I instantly had the idea that, well, Tywin would just have her raped by someone. And, you know, like, if it's if the problems with Tyrion, sure, it would be resolved. And if it's not, then, you know, then something bad would probably happen to Sansa. But, like... Yeah, I don't know. It, it won't be good. I'm I sure. have a lot of like bad guy admiration for Tywin, but he's a real bastard. You can mm-hmm. never forget that. Absolutely, he's the worst. Like, and when it comes to like cruelty and all that, I mean, he's a maybe a lawful evil, but he's still fucking evil. Yeah. So the assassin sneaks into Danny's camp, disguised as an unsullied. Missandei is in a tent bathing Danny and giving her some pointers on speaking Dothraki when Dario busts in. And instead of killing her, he delivers the heads of his comrades, claiming he did it for her beauty. 
Danny asks him to swear that the second sons will fight for her, and Dario agrees. She's got 2,000 more people in her army. <laughs> Just like that. Uh, Mi- minus two? 1998 yeah, right. <laughs> new people in her army. Right. They're only missing their head. It's, 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 it doesn't seem like it's that much. Um, I do like him saying, like, I'm the least complicated man alive. I just do what I want to do all the time. <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, he's... It might make you not complicated, but also kind of hard to predict right, as well. Right. But he's, he, he's extremely intriguing to Danny. Yeah. And she's very charmed. And also, this was a big predicament that he just solved for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's, she's going to roll with it. Um, and I like seeing in this scene mostly the relationship between Miss Sandy and Danny coming yeah. together yeah because it's it's a rare glimpse into like the more playful side of Danny right because you know she's like what what's wrong with my Dothraki I yeah. thought I was great what do you mean uh pretty good yeah my insanely hot husband said it was flawless and is a right. source of all of his pride and, and the uncomfortable look on Miss Sandy's face because like I, it you're right it's great because she's just formerly a, uh, a slave and mm. You know, like, despite I, I, I bet that she every night goes to bed thinking this is a dream I'm going to wake up from yeah. or, uh, you know, like, yeah, the, the, this uh, this this uh, this white woman, what she says is all well and good. But the second I step out of line, then it's going to be, you know, Sandy on the chopping block. Right. But also like her speaking 19 languages establishes her as like, if nothing else, linguistically brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, they're building her character up to see, like, you know, they're, they're telling us things just in passing, like, hey, Miss Sandy's really, really intelligent and smart. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really necessarily get that in her translation of the wise masters, but anyone that can speak sure. 19 languages has got some kind of mental acuity to her. Yeah, and they're also bringing her into Danny's fold as an advisor, kind of, right? Exactly. Like, she's there telling her that, look, your Dothraki's not quite as good as you think it is. Right. And, and that's something that Joffrey certainly wouldn't put up with. Right. Well, and, and it's also, it shows the quality of Miss Sandy that she, maybe she's nice about it, but she's going to give, uh, she's always going to tell Danny what's on her mind. She's exactly. Gonna be, she's going to trust Danny to be on, the, to be, to give her honest uh, advice instead of just empty flattery like you get with yeah. Joff or. Yeah. And that's what she wants from, you know, Jorah and Barristan as well. So, uh, I don't know. It's it's a really good scene between the two of them. Yeah. And then Dario busts in and ruins it all, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> now he's fine. I also think that um, from this point forward of Danny's remaining time on the show, uh, I'm not going to say the series because people get every time. At least one more every, episode. A, every, yes, at least one. But, um, she didn't die in this one, so she's probably going to be back. I think it's interesting how they use her character's nudity because, like, she was like mm-hmm. naked all mm-hmm. the time and not all of it her idea in the very first season. Yeah, and then I don't recall that she was naked at all in the second season. But like from here throughout her run on the series, I'll say uh, I feel like they make it a point though, like her nudity becomes part of her uh, power. Mm-hmm. Like here, she's getting naked in front of this man, but she's got all the power in the situation. Yeah. Um, you know, there's later moments where she becomes and it's she's like naked, but like a force of nature um, that I think is it's interesting choice, given how we were introduced to her character. You know, yeah. she was just essentially chattel being being sold and, and bought and traded on on a, on a market. <laughs> yeah, I almost think. Wasn't the first scene with her one where she was naked in a pool? Yeah, she they're getting there bathing her, and uh, her brother came in and squeezed up on her butt and tits. Yeah, and no, it was yeah. entirely it was a demeaning scene. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. it was terrible. But uh, this is much much more empowering. 
Uh, so the following morning, Shay brings Sansa breakfast, and she's pleased to see that Tyrion did not bang Sansa. Very pleased indeed. I uh, mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to fucking say about Shay. Man. Right? It's like you're pleased, but like, are you? You should be nervous. You should be nervous that Tywin is going to seek right. some kind of punishment. Yeah. If if you really love Tyrion. Like, yeah. Yeah. And he's going to suspect that. Like, although she wasn't else present is... at the wedding, so I don't know that she understands exactly I mean, what's yeah, going on. Yeah, but, but it's just the same kind of like, well, your dad, you know. I mean, I, it's weird though because some of this stuff I think is rubbing off on Tyrion, like. I don't know that pre-Shay, he does defy his father. Like, I don't but I don't know. Is Tyrion the kind of guy who would rape Sansa under any circumstance? Maybe he tries to get her... I, may, I don't know. Like, I well, maybe he tries it. to get her drunk, and that's not rape her. Uh, like, I... I mean, yeah, his, his I, reputation is paying people for consensual sex. Yes. That's his reputation, to, in my mind. Right, but there's no amount of money Sansa's going to accept in that circumstance. Yeah. So it's like, it's maybe maybe not, maybe... maybe but I, I do think that that particular formulation of, you know, fuck my father, he's not the boss and everything, is a little bit Shay. Uh, it's definitely echoing things she says, but yeah, I just a whole, like, her checking the bed for the wet spot or, I don't know, the virginal blood or whatever she's looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like, what? what The vomit. Yeah, the vomit. It's like, are you <laughs> are you going to do this literally, like, is this a thing every, every, day. every day from now every on? Day. And cannot Tyrion see how this is just not ever going to work? And Yeah. yeah Here, here's fucking, your bowl of Cheerios. Where's the blood spot? Right. I really fucking hate the, the, the whole situation. So, yeah. All right, we go to the final scene where Sam and Gilly come upon abandoned structure and decide to hunker down for the night. Sam fails at building a fire once again as he tries to flirt, kind of, with Gilly. But it doesn't go well, uh, so they try to come up with a name for the baby. He has to explain to Gilly the difference between a birth name and a family name. And he also says that they shouldn't name him Randall because his father's name was Randall and he was a very cruel man. Uh, The ravens outside begin making a shitload of noise, so Sam goes out to see what's the matter, and he finds a white walker heading toward them, and somehow he manages to kill it with the dagger that he found at the Fist of the First Men, and they sprint away as the ravens follow. Right. It's always tough when you got this mixing of classes, uh, you know, because she at one point levels this. Like, are you talking fancy just to confuse me or to make fun of me? Yeah. Which is truly shocking to Sam. Like, I know I'm just speaking like an educated Westerosi, and... You're from the sticks, girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it shows the kind of like how it's it's very tough for them to have like these equal relationship because you know Sam can't make a fire, she can't conjugate verbs properly, or whatever the hell is the problem there. Um, she doesn't have uh, a huge vocabulary, I'd say. Right, right. She doesn't understand the customs that he thinks are like. It's so funny because I, I imagine that like. Uh, Sam has not given a lot of thought about, like, what parts of his culture he likes and agrees with and what parts are things. Like, most people don't. Until you're confronted mm-hmm. with something that's different, you tend to, like, well, the default is the the way things should be because, hell, I'm happy and I'm successful and, and you know, other people aren't. Um, so I, I like that aspect um, a lot. And then I also really like Sam's ferocity. Like, this fucking White Walker shatters his blade with a touch mm-hmm. and Sam decides he's going to die rather than stand by and let something like this happen to Gilly and her baby. Um, a decision that he was incapable of doing at the start of the season. Like when yeah. it was him saving his brothers, he fro- literally froze up. Mm-hmm. Now he's not. And holy shit, Obsidian 
fucking is a white walker eraser apparently yeah this 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 dragon glass kills in one shot yeah yeah um so and i really like the effect of the white walker like essentially you're turning into ice and then bursting i love them uh, running from the abandoned house with the full moon and the dark clouds and just the clouds and clouds of batman-esque crows uh, um, you know screaming behind them mm-hmm. it's just a really powerful scene and a really great exclamation point for this for this episode yeah and that's the end of the episode oh yeah just like Lady Melisandre said you can tell the real thing as soon as you see it touch it or put it in your mouth and I got a <laughs> real thing right here <laughs> wait it's Club bald move. I can't do any of that with club bald move. Oh yeah, you can put it in your ear holes, baby. And okay. the second they creep in, you know it's the real thing. It's authentic, one hundred percent natural bald move. It'll strap you to the headboard and the footboard and put leeches all over you, baby. Just got to go to club dot Swipe your credit card. You can't swipe a credit card on the internet. You just punch those 16 little digits and then fly with us. Experience the reality of Club Bald Move. You can go, you can go to club.baldmove.com and you can see that they're real for yourself. You can t- take those things on a sexy test drive and then sign up for a smoking hot 30-day free trial by going to club.baldmove today. Do we have some feedback to do? Oh, do we? We have lots of feedback. Um, again, I because of because of time and uh, constraints, I wasn't able to consider all of them because I, it's even on the off season, I get so much freaking feedback on this podcast, which is great. But like, there's some really long, very insightful takes that I'd love to read, which is just, just so much of it. So, uh, let's start off uh, the non-spoiler feedback. Bryce from Dallas, well, or no, Detroit. I'm sorry, couldn't be more opposite. Detroit versus Dallas, North mm-hmm. South. Uh, Bryce says, what exactly happens to a man when his penis is cut off? I mean, how does, one cock. Sur- how does one survive in those times? Wooden cock. Wooden cock. Yeah, there you go. Next question. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Uh, get Kyburn in there. He could tell you. I mean, the books. So, like, yes, there is infection. But, like, if, you know, it's, it's, it's as, as much as we guys like to think otherwise, it's just a wound. You can, unless an infection sets in, you you can survive. Now, the books give some grisly details about, like, how um, the Unsullied are produced. And Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, they're cut root and stem, so balls and testicles. And essentially, they take a little reed and they shoot it in the urethral stump that used to be their cock to hold it open so it doesn't seal shut. And then they don't do anything for the pain or the infection. And like only one out of four boys even survive that process. So what possesses somebody to write this? I mean, that's my bigger question. (laughs) You do kind of wonder about guys like Martin in the margins. Why do you need to describe it? Yeah. Can't you just say, oh, they must have figured that out. Right. Like, like you can't like you take a five year old boy and you cut off his cock and balls and you turn him into a super soldier that's yeah. already horrifying, but let's let's, uh, <laughs> let's figure out how it would happen, and then let's write it in graphic detail. I mean, I, I think it's the same purposes on the show. Is like so when Danny betrays these guys and slaughters them to a man, it's is awesome instead of satisfying. Like, you yeah. don't want to stop and be like, "Is this overboard?" Right. You want to remember, oh yeah, reads up the urethra. Oh yeah, stealing babies and murdering them and giving their children thirty pieces of silver or whatever, like. So, yeah, 
but also, yeah, he he thought that shit up. He did. Uh, although I imagine up. a lot of that is probably just medieval history too. Probably, yeah. But I mean, he we had to go research it. We used to cut nuts <laughs> off of boys just so they'd sing pretty for their whole life. The castrati. That's like because you know, boy, like boys would have these beautiful, uh, you know, high voices and to sing in the choirs. But then they hit puberty and they'd turn into tenors. Worth so, it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely worth it. Uh, in fact, you know, the Noble last, sacrifice. I think the last Castrati died in like the 40s. Like, it's like that was shit I've that never they, were, heard that they were doing that in modern times. Yeah, that Jesus that was something Christ. that they would do. Um, so, anyway, that's how you survive poorly. Hmm. Poorly. Um, and like with Theon, I have to think that, um, you know, they're in a castle, which implies that there's a maester, which implies that there is some like, you know, if you have some kind of modest antibacterial and uh, and uh, the the what are we calling him? The mop boy, the mop boy's mm-hmm. knife yeah. is reasonably sharp. Then then the guy like Theon would survive. Uh, no, no, well, not no problems. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Juliet had an interesting personal anecdote. My daughter is one of the babies who appeared in the role of Gilly's baby on this series, specifically in this episode, episode eight, Second Sons, at the start of the scene where Samuel and Gilly find the hut to shelter in and they stand under the weirwood tree with the baby. I live in Northern Ireland where much of Game of Thrones is filmed and happened to have a newborn at precisely the right time that they needed to cast babies for the role. We filmed at various locations for scenes in episodes eight and ten, but most scenes didn't make the final edit. But it was very cool to hang out on the set of the now biggest show on television and to watch two amazing directors, Michelle McLaren and David Nutter, work. My daughter is now six and has no clue what Game of Thrones is, but I'll let her watch it someday, perhaps when she's 40. (laughs) Uh, That's a real cool story. It is, and it's going to be a real cool thing in her life yeah to say oh yeah that really super popular show in right. the 2000s yeah i was sam and gilly's baby yeah uh that's 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 really cool <laughs> uh so thanks for sharing with that with us julie and bryce that is all the non-spoiler feedback that we have to consider mm-hmm. uh, if you'd like to send us more it's game of thrones at baldmove.com now we go into the spoiler section okay uh is there so we now have a, a theon torture count Nope, it wasn't no, even in the episode. No Theon getting tortured. Uh, still recovering from his cock wound. Um, I had a couple things I wanted to talk about. Euro Trash Dario. Okay. Unquestionably greater than Dario Nyquilis. I mean, yeah, he's he's more magnetic, certainly. I mean, I I think he just is a more imposing physical character. I think he's got hmm. an edge to him that is vital to the role. Like... Dario Naharis in the books is a fucking maniac. He's got like his his beard's dyed purple right. and it's braided and he's got gold teeth. He's like a much more flamboyant Jack Sparrow. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy brought kind of like that edge and unconventional. He's got like braided hair, but he just doesn't give a fuck. And uh, I, I I just I don't know why they recast him because I think the new Dario is just fine, but. I just don't think he. I, I just don't think he. I don't think Danny stands up about her bathtub naked for the new Dario. I really don't. I don't buy any of their right. chemistry. I think I know why they recast him because he looks too much like a Targaryen. I heard that they 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 they, they recast him. Oh, you're you're joking? Because I yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. he's like a Targaryen Matthew McConaughey. I mean, okay. he he kind of looks like he is part of the family, and I think that's weird. For HBO, I mean, for Martin, not, for Game for, of Thrones, like I think for it's, a Targaryen, I think it's on. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. on, it's, it seems like it's on message. Honestly, I right, think the, for I the think audience, the, the real uh, reason is that he got cast 
in a transporter film as like one of the bad like one of the the bad guys oh um, man i feel like you probably that's I, a mistake i don't know i mean i don't know what the different paydays were i don't know where they're like what two or three more seasons of game of thrones versus but i just yeah like i man i really miss this euro this euro is dangerous this euro you know it's he's uh <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do feel is, like he's a Dario to get me out of bed or out of the tub <laughs> naked for sure. I feel like he'd be a bigger <laughs> thing now if he had stuck around the show. Oh, no shit. Like then doing a transporter film. That's, yeah. I, the only person getting notoriety off a transporter film is Jason Statham. Right. Everybody else is getting left in the dust. Right. So right. maybe stick around for three more seasons or so of Game of right. Thrones. Right. Um, I don't know. Um I feel like uh who's the guy that played uh uh, uh the Drogo um Jason Moma Momoa yeah Momoa he still like he still like swags around all the cons with Amelia Clark like to this day yeah I feel like, like if New Dario had hung around in the cast he'd put a stop to that he'd be like yeah go get <laughs> get out of here get out of here fish boy uh-huh. she's swagging around to the cons with me now <laughs> <laughs> what about the what about the new Dario? He's not. Oh, that's what cons. I'm saying. Whatever he's doing, he's not keeping Cal Drogo at bay. Yeah, he can't. I, I don't think this guy could have either. Frankly, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It would have been it would it would have been more of a competition. Sure. I mean, it's yeah. I clearly it's a joke. It's stupid. And Obviously, like yeah. It's all put on, but still, I'm just saying. Old Dario, best Dario. Uh, the crows in the tree. I thought, you know, with the with the benefit of hindsight and where the story's going, like this is like you're supposed to un- you'll eventually come to understand that this is the three eyed raven trying to influence and protect. Yeah. Like, you know, the reason that Sam came out there to take a stand is because the crows are going crazy. Um, I don't know whether the crows are going to provide like or like providing some sort of cover from them um, as they're running. But I think it's a cool detail that here beneath. This is kind of like the height of the Three-Eyed Raven's power. It's right outside of Weirwood. Mm-hmm. It's got like a bazillion crows that he can see. He he can use as remote drones. It's it's cool. Yeah, and I think it has a big effect on Sam's trajectory in general. Yeah, because uh, you know he later on discovers the dragon glass and knows what it means and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, he's kind of the impetus for the north having the weapons they need to fight the white walkers yeah and it's per- it kind of changes his trajectory I and mean, he's now exactly. sam the slayer for for better or worse like mm-hmm. you can't take that away from him he's the only black brother who's slayed a white walker in millennia yeah um did you have any other points you wanted to talk about no, okay let's get on the feedback again game of thrones at baldmove.com andrew s do you think Tyrion has been a good hand to danny it seems like pretty much every decision he's made has been a bad one. In Marine, he made a deal with the Masters to let them wean off of slavery instead of completely abolishing it. This led them to attack Marine, which surely he didn't expect. I suppose it inadvertently worked out, but there's no way Tyrion had planned that. And Danny was just mm-hmm. cool with him making the deal. Her other advisors seemed to correctly call out how bad of an idea it was. Also, his plan for conquering the Seven Kingdoms clearly didn't work out. It led to the complete loss of the only two Westerosi allies that Danny had. How about we just send dragons over and burn down the Red Keep of Cersei in it? Sure, it kills a few people, but not burn all of King's Landing to ash like he implied. Wasn't it his terrible plan to go north and snag a white? I don't know if we can pin I that don't. on Tyrion. Yeah, I don't. That seems like a that. John, a shitty John idea. It sure does. Uh, shouldn't he have been the one most in position to realize none of it would mean shit to Cersei? Did he th- really think that she would suddenly find morality and join a common cause because of a zombie? And of course, he was ultimately duped by Cersei at the end, essentially being outsmarted by a sister who is well known for her incompetent plotting. 
It seems to me that most of the setbacks that Danny had are due to Tyrion's poor counsel, but I guess you can blame Danny for listening to his dumb ass. <laughs> Do you think Tyrion's mistakes are simply the vehicle the D's, the double D's used to even out the sides or prove more of a dramatic effect? Or I just have a hard time believing Tyrion will be consistently outsmarted in the books like he has in the show. You're telling me he can't outsmart his drunken sister and evil pirate Euron? Um, the man has a point. He he does. Yeah. Uh, I think Tyrion for a while was still trying to play the game mm-hmm. the way that he had played it before, and Danny plays a whole different game. Uh, so I think a lot of that slaver stuff you can kind of lay at the feet of just the way Tyrion's always done things, right? Right. Like Danny would have been like, no, you don't get time to, you don't get seven years or whatever the hell it was to wean off of slavery. Mm-hmm. You're doing it now. You're doing it today. Right. As a matter of fact, you've already done it. Right. Uh, and if not, my dragons are going to come burn you. Yeah. Like, that that would have been Danny's play, but Tyrion's still playing that old game there. As far as, like, his counsel on, yeah, like, his sister and his family, I think he, for some reason, and I, I can't explain it, mm-hmm. for some reason he has completely misjudged them. Mm. Um, I do think that there is an argument to be made for Tyrion that, like, if you're going to give the ma- masters that deal, you might as well just kill them to a man. Yeah. Because you... But Danny, I think, would be okay with that, too. Right. But, like, I think it's like kind of like, you know, in the North beat the South, there is this whole plan of reconstruct. Because, you know, you, the, the reality is you can't just uproot a society's economic system as horrific and evil as it is uh, and replace it with nothing. Yeah, and the slaves them. will starve to death. They don't have the ship. The masters will in. They don't have the relationships. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and if if that's if you want to commit genocide against any particular class of people, great. But if not, you have to do something. Now, mm-hmm. in real life, uh, the North started and then got bored with it about ten years, took their eye off the ball, and we're still struggling with race and class and all kinds of shit in America that we probably shouldn't still be dealing with. But I think. Tyrion saw like Danny didn't see and didn't care. It's just mm-hmm. like, well, they have slaves; they have to stop right now. Yeah, uh, are you going to pay them for the loss of their property? Are you going to prop up their economic system? Are you going to forge new trade deals with them so that they can make? Like Danny doesn't doesn't even realize that's a thing that should be done. Right. Neither does Jorah. Neither does Selmy. Uh, mm-hmm. Tyrion's trying to play that game, but it gets him in a lot of hot water because. As you can imagine, former slaves don't want to hear about the economic difficulties of their former slave empires. So, yeah. But I, then Danny's, just, Danny's way produces the Sons of the Harpies, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Th- there, there are problems on both sides, and I, yeah. I don't feel like they ever quite come together and figure them all out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely hard to impose, even if it's the right way, to impose your way of life on an outside agency without and have it go smooth. You have to essentially pick winners and losers. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like Danny just like, well, we'll just make the slaves the winners, which is well enough. But, you know, who's going to train them? Who's going to put them to work? Who's how are you going to divide up the property? There's a lot of questions that Danny, you know, let left Tyrion uh, to deal with when when she's out and fucking around with 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 Drogon and the Dothraki. So mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's. You know, maybe Tyrion didn't know about the Castle Rock being bankrupt. Um, I do don't fault him for saying don't take your dragons to to King's Landing, Um, because it does seem like there's no way that would end well. Like he's like, well, you just go to the Red Keep and you burn it to slag, and you don't take the city. I mean, you have to take the city eventually. Eventually, yeah. And also, like, is Cersei and her family going to stay in the Red Keep when the dragons come in? Will they just split mm-hmm. start using human shields? Like, these are the fucking Lannisters. Of course they will. Of course they will. Yeah. So, 
I, I I don't know. But yeah, falling for Cersei's like getting roped into Cersei's bullshit because just because she says she's pregnant seems like seems like a double D shortcut. Like I do not believe uh if Martin ever writes the last uh, the last two books that it will go down like this. Hmm. I think that's one of the reasons it's taking so fucking long as he's trying to come up with something better and it's 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 not super easy. Um anything else you want to talk about with that or should we move on to Mike from Two Mountains. Yeah, let's move on. Not one, but Two Mountains. Uh, maybe he's the Montana Mike I've heard so much about with his fabulous mountain-themed steakhouses. I wouldn't know. Are you the Montana Mike? And if so, can I get a gift <laughs> card? Can I get can I get a $50 gift card? I'd like to take the, the, the missus out for some sirloin and sweet potato, okay? That's all I'm asking, Mike, from Two Mountains. You got two. Can I can you got two I mountains? One. I want a fifty dollar gift gift certificate. Oh, okay. I feel like I feel Not like Montana for one of the mountains. I feel like Montana Mike can make that happen. Uh, I'm listening to your coverage and something that's mentioned made me think of Brand's comment about Sansa looking beautiful on her wedding day. Here's my question: What if Brand is cracked in the head in a different way than we thought, and he's referring to a wedding that has not yet taken place? Mm. Maybe this is foreshadowing that Sansa will come out of this alive, or at least we have a happy wedding before the end of the series. Thoughts? That's an interesting thought. Yeah, I got. I gotta say, I got a lot of people wanting to talk about my dismissing of the uh, Sansa and Tyrion fan fiction um, that everybody's <laughs> wanting to write. And like, you know, everyone, there's good points to be made all around. Um, I did like this because it seems like, re- like, cause I, regardless of which wedding brand is talking about the one to Tyrion or the one to Ramsey, pretty gross. Yeah. Neither pretty gross of those are emotionally things to tell her. Yeah. I would much rather believe that brand being kind of this unstuck in time character. And I feel like, man, we're doing a lot of shows about people unstuck in time. Castle uh, rock, fucking uh, sharp objects. Now brand, um, that he's seeing a very, a much happier time when his sister's authentically happy and radiantly beautiful and, and married to him. Married. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's incest all the way down. <laughs> oh, God, um, I, I, I yeah I, I think that's a really cool idea and it also doesn't see sidesteps because I, I the more I thought about it the more I really doubt John and Danny are making this thing making it out of this alive mm-hmm. and Sansa getting married to someone that she loves and respects and admires would be a nice character it would would be I mean I don't know there's probably some you can make an argument either way. Like Sansa don't need no man, but also if Sansa wants a man, she should get a man and that would be sweet. And seeing her happy would be nice. So I'm on the side of, I'd like to see Sansa be happy. Mm-hmm. Sansa and Arya, I'd like to be, see happy at the end. Uh, I would like to see John and Danny happy. I just don't think that, you know, like Ramsey said, I've been paying attention to your story. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, anything else? No. Harry S. wants to clarify what happened to Willis Tyrell. Um, I mentioned him last episode about crippled, but I couldn't remember how. He says, I want to I talk about him because I think he's a cool background character that I cut from the show. He wasn't crippled by a disease, as you said on the podcast, but from a jousting accident involving Oberyn Tyrell. Wait, Oberyn Martin. Or wait, Oberyn Martell. He said Oberyn Tyrell, and it's really fucked us ah, up. I have yeah. a correction to your correction, buddy. <laughs> it's Oberyn, not Tyrell. It apparently added to the already present animosity between the two families. 
The part I loved about the story, and in my opinion, made Oberon and Willis better characters, was the fact that they were somewhat friends, even though the incident occurred. I don't remember the exact details, but I think Oberon talks about them keeping up a correspondence and having an understanding that it was an accident and even bonding over certain shared interests. It rounds out the deadly viper persona that Oberon has and shows the reader that he has an honest side, an ability to look past familial feuds and be a good person even when there isn't an apparent benefit. It also makes Willis one of the best Tyrells, even though we don't know him other than by hearsay, because it shows that he is an honest person who isn't necessarily buying into the deceit and hate that the Game of Thrones instills in his other family members. He's talked about as a genuinely kind person and it rounds out the Tyrells as a family with multiple facets. Maybe he can come in at the end like Sean Connery from Men in Tights. And Mary, that he's the like he's he's this like smoking hot dude with a limp coming out of the ashes of the Tyrell house, marrying marrying Sansa. Never even seen him. Who would you cast? Who would you cast? That <laughs> As would, Willis. That would would incidentally that would be instantly like oh yeah oh yeah that's that's uh, Sansa would go for him. Jason Momoa. Jason <laughs> Momoa. <laughs> there you go. Why not? I've seen characters play. Yeah, I mean, they fucking did it with uh, Tommen. Tommen Lannister, the king of fucking Westeros, first of his name. Yeah. And, and Martin Lannister. Yeah, you can def if you can recast the king, you can recast a cow. Fuck yeah. Uh, if Bring you can Momoa back. If you can dodge a king, you can dodge a cow. Um, <laughs> Killian B. Any idea where there's never any clockwork features in the intro to the show for Beyond the Wall? I feel like there's enough time spent at a few of these locations, like Craster's Keep, The Fist of the First Men, or even the Cave of the Three-Eyed Raven, that it'd be pretty justified. I can see the argument against it for a place such as Hardhome, since we're only there once, but even then, I kind of feel like leaving these spaces out does a disservice to what could be some really cool features in the, out in the intro. Man, they don't even know how to build windmills up there they're not building clocks <laughs> not much building... less ones that work yeah N nothing nothing with gears they don't no. they don't know about gears no they're the only teeth they have is in their head and a few of those <laughs> they don't have teeth toothbrushes up there either no Fuck I, fluoride i, I mean that's I, that's well beyond they, their they're brushing with snow they're brushing with snow yellow yeah. snow they oh. somehow thought that that has antiseptic properties it's a wives tale but you know the egyptians used to cure wounds with honey and sand so Ugh. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it is to say, hey, the, they don't have the tech up here. I take uh, his point, though, because I, I would have loved to see like a cool fist of the first men rotating out of the ground or like hard. Uh, you know, he says hard home, but I think hard home would be particularly useful because where the fuck is hard home? Which coast is it on? Could you mm -hmm. tell me right now how far away is it from the wall? A long uh, uh day's journey on a dragon what a, right what about a week or, a week on a dragon i don't remember um also like where is the place where the the, the frozen pond of the island where they had the last stand i mean i wonder if they do it because there just aren't very many settlements up there like hard home maybe yeah because that's kind of a, a settlement uh but there aren't a lot that we see right craster's like keep they did young kai which is essentially yeah. two episodes and done mm -hmm. like danny just steamrolls that place but they yeah. don't do and, and it, it seemed like it'd be one location per season. Like you'd have the first the fist of the first men in season two, maybe, or maybe Craster's keep, uh, maybe Craster's keep comes back this year, next year it's hard home. Or like, I feel like the, yeah, they could have justified that. I'm surprised they didn't. They got Vale's Dothrak mm -hmm. that got visited all, but like two times in a whole series. Yeah. But eh. uh, I, if, if, if I was approving the budget, I totally would do that. Killian. 
uh, Sean McGee uh, with the subject line Shay and eating fish. And I almost just just skipped this and didn't read it because uh, I'm like, this could not go good places. OK, uh, but he starts off. So you've had a torture count for Ramsey. And before that, you had the where my dragons count for Daenerys. There's mm-hmm. one more count. You could easily have had annoying scenes with Shay. I know, okay. I know you've discussed it. Some scenes aren't so bad, but it seems like it's a steady progression of her character to get more and more annoying the more you watch the show. I'm not sure if it's because the acting just gets worse, the character changes as her situation changes, or my latest theory, it's like Mercury and Fish. Each dose, not so bad. It stays with you, but it stays <laughs> with you until it reaches a toxicity level from which we can never return. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the terror. I know what comes next. It's a bunch yeah. of cannibalism and... Freaky deaky polar bears. Yeah, madness. Uh, we don't want that. I mean, I got to say that I kind of agree because when Shay, when I first saw Shay, uh, I'm like, okay. Um, I didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't imagine her being like this from the books. And it just, just keeps getting, it keeps, they, they just keep leaning into the things that I find annoying. And I also am perplexed by all the interviews I've seen from the Double D's and Martins where, like, she just won them over in the interview. And she's so uh, incredibly charming and, like, all that. And I, I got – I have never met her. Uh, so I don't – maybe she is. Maybe in real life she's just, like, this, like, incredibly warm, genuine presence that blows you away. But, like – We had an opportunity to meet her. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't take that opportunity because I was a little – I didn't know what I would say. Yeah, I feel like yeah. most of the actors I go up to and say, man, I really love your I'm performance. I'm a genuine fan of thing. your work. But With Shay, I like I. Hmm. Yeah, I chose not to go say hi to her. Yeah, I don't want to color. Yeah, I don't want her being a very nice lady. I'm sure to color my opinions right. on the show. And I also don't want her to be like, you're that fucker that says that. I. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like it's to me the like very low it's one of the few like glaring casting issues that it's just like everybody else like from like the lowest most insignificant character to except the new dario yeah yeah they shit the bed on that too but <laughs> they had a scheduling conflict so it's not like they just right, decided right. to it's same like like i think that um i really like the new mountain but the classic mountain is the best mountain and i guess he they lost him to some kind of conan movie that never even got greenlit so <sighs> fuck um but anyway, I, I, I everyone else is so cast so well that she she just and I've I've seen some, I've I've definitely had people write in with tepid defenses. I've never mm-hmm. seen someone just go all in like fuck you guys. Shay's the best, and I'm the biggest Shan. I'm the biggest I'm the biggest Shay stan. I'm the biggest Shay fan in the the world. Um, of course, now I'm baiting it, and I'll I'll get five hundred of them. But right, yeah, yeah. She's she's the she's the 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 mercury infused tuna and where the sushi aficionados are going to die from it. <sighs> Lord M, what are your thoughts on Stannis's claim that we do not choose our destinies in terms of Game of Thrones characters? I agree that some characters like Danny and John seem to have paths laid out for them in prophecy, but for the most part, everyone seems to make choices along the way that leads to their destiny. What are your thoughts about destinies in Game of Thrones? And what do you think Gurm would say about destiny? Hmm. Do I believe in a deterministic universe of, in game of thrones because mm. kind of yeah yeah i mean i how much do you make the choices you make how how much is your decision a part of what happens to you yeah it's hard to say even in the real world and even with prophecies like uh my my atheist advocate would say 
were John and Danny destined to be play the roles they were or were their actions that they individually choose put them in points where they could match the prophecy because mm-hmm. like you know in the time of like uh when when the uh jews were expecting messiah like in the 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 first century bc and ce there was like tons of christ cults like there was a lot of guys being like yep that's me i'm the guy mm-hmm. um and i think that's maybe a slight flaw in Martin's work that there's not more princes that were promised, like more like people from the free cities that like are all like, you know, everybody's sucking the, the, the ghost of the high Valerian's dick all the time. And they're like the Romans of the world. They're the, the pinnacle of civilization. We kind of like, why aren't there more people that like Rhaegar have stumbled out of a library thinking, Oh yeah, this is totally me. I got to make this happen. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. Um, there are a few, obviously, like because Stannis is saying he's Azora High, and then maybe it's Dan- John, and maybe it's Danny, and all that. But like, mm-hmm. the, I feel like there should be more. There should be more. Yeah, I mean, at some point you kind of have to give it over to like this is fiction, and yeah. people are making choices. Particularly one person, George Martin. Yeah. Um you know, he's the god of the universe, right? He's he's creating the destinies for these characters. So, like, to say that their choices are influencing. It's a weird thing when we're talking about fiction. Mm-hmm. It's a really weird thing. Uh, and I, I would say the person making the choice here is George Martin. Yeah. Or the double D's. If, if you're talking about season seven. Yeah. Um, Mike McSee, there's next two emails are, uh, talking about George and his writing. Uh, I know you, that George doesn't owe us anything, but does it piss you off when Gurm releases other books and produces other shows while at the same time he's dragging his ass on the sixth book? Sometimes I think he's trolling us and the next book will be released the day before season eight premieres. Um, that's that's two years too late. Like, Yeah, right. That's the thing. It doesn't piss me off as a book reader because I'm not a book reader. Uh, what pisses me off is the fact that the Double Ds are having to scramble and improvise here on... A, a plan that was laid out eight years ago, nine years ago, or whatever it was, right? Uh, saying, "Hey, I'll have these books ready for you, and yes. we're all, everybody's going to be happy. You're going to do what you do. I'm going to do what I do. No problems." And yes. then he reneged on that deal. Yes, like th- that's fucked up, man. And it seems like it's really bummed out that, like, you know, because that's where I'm. You know, th- th- there's a there's a defense of George Martin I'm about to launch into. Um, but what I want to say, my my opening argument is. I'm always going to sign George more blame for the deal because regardless of what the pacing issue or he thought that maybe they'd get two seasons out of feast instead of one, there is no universe in which he finishes both of the books before the series come, that comes to an end. And he, he already fucked up. He didn't finish the book right. they needed to finish by the time right. he needed to finish it. Right. So regardless of whether he gets it out by the end of the series or not is no longer the point. And that's the thing. Like we're talking about dance came out in season before season two, if I recall. So we're talking about like maybe the first three years he does it his perfect way. Like, okay, well I got yeah. my mirror knees not untied and now I'm going to finish the two books. But when that's like, he has gotten immense resources. He could hire a team of writers room. He could get like, I'm not saying that he farms out the work, but someone get in there and help him with his fucking authorial constipation. Right. Because I don't think George owes it to us, mm-hmm. any individual fan, although I think that is increasingly a horseshit argument. Like when you create a series, uh, you are kind of implicitly promising the reader that they will get in. You can't guarantee they'll be satisfied with it. Sure. But abandoning it is 
I think, a violation of the authorial contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm especially not, when there's a literal authorial contract right, in play that, with HBO saying right, get these and random books house done. or Bantam or whoever he's got it with. Um, yeah. But let's before I get more into that, let's go, let's take serious uh, Cyrus M's um, defense of, of Martin because I'm going to get a little critical of you, Aaron. So don't hate me because I still love you guys. It's cool, man. This is this is a great low stakes argument to have. You know, sure. whether George Martin has failed us as readers, I'm I'm happy to argue over beers until the, the cows come home, because who cares at the end of the day? Uh, it seems like HBO made the decision to move the plot more quickly than Gurm expected. This is not unreasonable because some of uh, Feast and Dance did not lend well to the visual medium. But I do think there's a lot there, like the Ariane plot. She was made for HBO, but it seems like they after they made the decision not to do fake Aegon. Uh, they did not know what to do with Dorne. Maybe they could have used Tristane for the Quentin uh, doomed hero storyline, but it's pretty evident from the last season that Double D's just want to wrap this up. Details be damned. Details which equated realism are what made this show so compelling for me. Uh, also, according to the people at Worldcon 2018, HBO is killing a lot more people in the show than they would have done at this point in the story. This also seems to lead credence to the fact that the Double D's just want to wrap this up. Uh, in recent years, the relationship between HBO and Gurm seems to have suffered. We know that he's more closely involved in the show at as late as season three, based on his recent comments at Worldcon. And he shows he, he's a paraphrasing exchange where uh, Martin tried to get script approval at some point when he's renegotiating a contract to HBO. And HBO is like, uh, how about no? And how about a million dollars? How about two million dollars? Like they essentially just did not want him to have that that script approval. I don't think I've blame them for that it's a man who can't write a book what if he looks at the script and says nah nah guys that's not good enough yeah they have a show to make yes and, and they have schedule and and huge budgets to hit so they, they gotta have control of that so i'm gonna let cyrus i'm gonna let him sum up and then we'll talk about it uh perhaps hbo and the double d's felt they could do it better on their own uh, we have to admit, for all the hard time, uh, Aaron, you have been giving Germ, uh, you also should be get, or you also are giving the Double D's oh so slight of a pass. Uh, I understand since the weight is killing the fandom that you do not seem like a big fan of Feast and Dance, um, but that his involvement has made much better TV. This gives me little faith for their successor, the Age of Heroes show, as it seems to be the one that Germ thinks uh, came for from one line in the world of Ice and Fire. What do you guys think? Um, I mean, the thing we can all agree on is that Double D's really wanted to adapt the series, and they did that on the strength of the first three books. Mm-hmm. I think that another thing we can agree on is that the fan reception to fans and dance, the fan, the, the feast and dance, and dance has been mixed. Like, okay. Even the most ardent supporters of dance and feast and saying, oh, when you get into the real subtleties on rereads, when you read it in a correct order, it tells them so much more of a grander and more interesting and realistic story, which I buy all those arguments. OK, you have persuaded me still not better books than the first three. OK, those first three are like fucking barn burners, you know, like on first read. I was skipping whole chapters in Feast too because of, in Feast because I'm like I don't give a fuck about this Ario Hota. I want to get back to Arya. <laughs> you know, I, I don't give a shit about uh, this 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 other dude. I want to get back to what Danny's doing. You know, um, so if if the Double D's really wanted to adapt this work and they were doing an excellent job of adapting Martin's words, and Martin has eight years to finish two more books and he doesn't finish one of them. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's where I'm like, this seems like such a bitch move to complain about HBO gunning through your books a season before you thought they were going to. Like, really? Really? I don't believe he'd have Feast done. Yeah. Because the reality is that that, that Game of Thrones has given him an extra almost year worth of by the time because they sh- they lost a, a three months by shifting to the summer and mm-hmm. they lost a whole freaking year with this last season. So I could argue that Martin had a year and a half more than he thought. I mean, he's got still zero books out. Right. So how in the hell? Like, yes, the double D's have lost interest because they didn't sign up to write fucking George Martin fan fiction. Yeah. They signed up to adapt to a screenplay the works of George R. R. Martin, and who is the one that's still doing the show as best as they can, mm-hmm. and who's the one that keeps distancing himself from the show and making <laughs> excuses for himself and writing other projects, et cetera, et cetera. I don't hate the man. Honestly, I think I would be George Martin. <laughs> yeah, I would situation. be so sure. fucking terrified that like the first three were so good and the next two were difficult and hard, and I, shit, I don't even know what to do. And and I and if I don't do anything, I got the perfect. I, I, everyone thinks I got the perfect plan, and everything looks bad in comparison to that. But if I actually write something and make it real, then people can judge it. Like, yeah, I got a lot of sympathy for the man, but as a businessman, what he's doing is also horseshit. Yeah, I no, I I agree, I agree. Like, what if I just like you know like not that we're in, in the same thing, but like if we just decided we weren't ready to do season eight when it came out, we need mm-hmm. another year before we're properly prepared. The fans would abandon us in droves, rightly so. Yeah, because there's a con like you know Game of Thrones is here. We're gonna fucking talk about it. Like he just for whatever reason, psychological material. I don't know what it is, but I think like I find it very hard to believe that. I find it very hard to be persuaded that the Double D's bear more than I- any part of the blame. And some people say, well, HBO should have never signed a contract with him knowing that he hasn't got the books done. Man, HBO signs contracts with people all the time on a fucking one-hour pilot with this, the expectation they'll do five exactly. more seasons less than a year apart. That's their business model. With creatives, you have to be, right? Yeah. Like, you can't only go out there and license things that are completed. Right. You have to you have to develop new shows. And like these these are excellent works. I'm describing The Wire. I'm excri- mm-hmm. I'm describing like, you know, Breaking Bad was done. Every fucking show you ever watch yeah. that has come out in the golden age of television has been greenlit based on the strength of a one hour pilot. And mm-hmm. then those guys had to get a and, and they don't do it some of them do it alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them get a room full of talented writers. This fact that George has refused to modify his approach at all. He's still using the same shitty software he's using. He's doing the same shitty process. He's not like, I mean, he says he's, he's, he's definitely, um, he's definitely reduced his con appearances and stuff, but like how much fucking time was that actually taking him? I mean, he's writing so many other books. Like that's the fucking, it's avoidance. It's clearly, I actually like it. The, the things that he's doing seem like something a depressed person does. And I feel sorry for him. But I also think it's a hell of his own his own creation. So, yeah. um, so there's like I said. I mean, I'm not mad anybody takes the opposite view. I just I've I've seen like I, I've I've spent a lot of time reading this, this this different stuff, and I just say that like that's that's my view of all the facts. Mm-hmm. I think the Double D's would have never lost enthusiasm to this project if. They had something that was hot shit like the first three books and they were just adapting great scene after great scene, great character after great character. I don't think they ever wanted to get in a situation where they have to write George Martin fanfic in less than three months Mm -hmm. every year. 
Like that's that. And, and they, they say I, I, they, it seems like it's made them miserable. Like not only is this consumed the decade of their life, but it's turned out to be kind of a disappointment by their own standards. So uh, that's the podcast. You have anything more to add? No, I'm good. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Of course, we got forums, forums at baldmove.com. If you'd like to discuss things over like, like, like uh, me being wrong about the, my take on Martin with your fellow fans, they're there for you. Uh, we'll be back next week with the, the penultimate episode. Uh, until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim later.